You're listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we firmly believe that love is the answer and we are spreading it like wildfire. You're invited to come spend time with us in authentic connection, growth, reflection, and celebration. Life coach, author, and speaker, Abigail Gazda, will be sharing amazing humans living their hearts unleashed to inspire you to do the same. You will hear from men, women, and young people from all industries sharing their insights and inspiration as they have paved their way to their fullest lives. Here at the Hearts Unleashed podcast, we are turning dreamers into doers. So if you are ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, you are listening to the Hearts Unleashed podcast where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I am so excited to bring a new heart to you guys, Robert Kendall. He is a veteran of many worlds. He has spent time in corporate America, a startup, a small computer shop, and then built an international eight-figure business based on relationship and intimacy and sexuality. And I can't wait. I have already know I want to ask you a question about your eight-figure business. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so you guys, this is who he is. He's currently runs a successful consulting firm, helping businesses become marketable and profitable. And he's also a very profound speaker. I love his concepts and he's a perfect fit to be here with you guys on the Hearts Unleashed podcast. He's got his own podcast called Tough Love and is currently writing a book called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. So sounds like a book about everybody. How about you tell us a little bit about that? The book actually was released last Thursday. Yes, congratulations. So it's down the world. It's available on uh, Kindle and soft cover and audio by the end of 2018. So I had a 12-hour live book launch, which yes. was an epic experience. Uh, the book is really a pragmatic guide for men to live in this crazy 21st century mm-hmm. as the world has changed and evolved to really find their heart-centered, to find out who they are and who they should be rather than the scripts. handed to them by generations of previous men. And it's also for those confused by men in this action, which does mean everyone. It was entitled, it really was intended to offer some reality, some information, just some love. So you can love men better. That was the goal behind the book. I love that. And, you know, I I love what you mentioned about like what's been handed down, because that's really present in your speaking about the societal norms and the conditions that we've been handed. And so the Hearts Unleashed podcast is about unleashing who we are and being mm-hmm. having the permission to be that and evolve it. You know, what do you have to say about that? Well, we're taught in society not to do that. Yeah. We're, we're well-trained to display and uh, offer a very small percentage of who we truly are to fit into society. And we're taught through example after example, not to go outside this box. And if you do, you're a misfit. If that, if you're, you know, an outcast, you'll be alienated. You'll end up alone dying under a bridge. Like there's so many messages that basically say fit inside the status quo or else. And inside this, people are dying inside their prison, literally dying inside of the facades they've created more enhanced by social media. So my mission is to give 
people permission to show one more degree of themselves or two more degrees of themselves or 50 more degrees, whatever they can do in a conscious, deliberate manner. So they don't have to live inside these prisons. They can actually live free, live authentic, and be truly who they are and magnetize to them people who are truly who they are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we all seem to, those of us who are really sharing that message, I've noticed something woke us up somewhere. Mm -hmm. What woke you up? I know the exact moment I got woken up. It was uh, around uh, 1030 a.m. on March 20th, 1999. I was in a workshop with my first wife, Carol. Mm -hmm. It was my first workshop really ever in my life. And also in terms, it was around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And what was happening is we were in a circle. I was in a very new situation. I was a nice guy. I wasn't a very uh, smart guy, but I was a nice guy. I was smart at logistics and computer programming and how to be a businessman, but not so smart when it came to empathy, compassion, emotional intelligence, and really understanding women. Um, I had gone you know, far. I was married, but still really disconnected from my wife. Anyway, so we're in the circle and we're doing introductions and it was my, I went first and I did my introduction and I, at the end I thought I was brilliant. I thought I was eloquent. I thought everyone would clap. Maybe the teacher would invite me on the couch to teach with him. And instead he said, Hey, do you know your wife's crying? And she was sitting right next to me, you know, eight inches away, 12 inches away. And I was so Uh, unaware. I was so self-centered. I was so enclosed in my own ego that I had not realized the the extent of my chauvinism, my misogynism, and my really lack of paying attention to her. So I had two choices in that moment. Option number one was to stand up, throw over my shoulder, go back to the man cave. Uh, Option number two, the one I picked was to stay in that burn, to stay in that uncomfortable sensation and learn. So that was my wake-up call to go on this most epic adventure they've ever known possible. I love that. And I, I want to talk about the burn for a second (laughs) because what I really actually want to do is encourage people into it because you know what we see out there and we are following the status quo and the societal norm. And and there's plenty of times that we are woken up and Mm -hmm. we resist it Mm -hmm. because it does burn. And we, we just choose to go back. We want like, even in my own transformation, I've noticed there's times where I'm like, I wish I could have stayed numb and dumb. Like I'm too woke now. (laughs) Where's the ticket back? Like what do I just say to those who are avoiding the burn and like also just like walking all the way through the fire? Well, my main viewpoint is human beings are basically lazy. So if the pain of staying the same is less than the pain of change, you'll stay the same. You'll just stay inside your status quo. And if you're happy with your status quo, then God bless you. You know, like, don't take the red pill. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Just stay in your status quo. It will be easier. And I know pretty much everyone has this little itch, this little inkling, this little feeling that something's amiss. And if you look at every great story, uh, Joseph Campbell, I don't know if you know much about the monomyth, in terms of the hero's journey, but every great story, Joseph, yeah, Joseph Campbell uh, is a historian, and he looks at every great myth from Buddha to Luke Skywalker, and found a common theme among all the stories, and really is, is someone's in their status quo, something happens, 
It's what he calls the call for adventure. The hero either answers the call or refuses the call. If he refuses the call, life gets shittier. If he answers the call, then he goes and shittier. shittier. Let's make that really clear. (laughs) Yeah. And then if he he or she or they answer the call, then they go on the epic adventure. And that's where all great stories come from. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, avoid the call if you can. It's really my message to you. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? right. And I love what um, I'm obsessed with the hero's journey. And I, one of my favorite parts of it is when you do accept that, yep. as far as the technology of it, your guides show up. Yes. People just magically show up in your life or old people start to show up new. Right. And it have, have this different use, let's say, in your life. And they really guide you to the next step, the next level. And um, yes, pretty much every movie and book out there, right? The hero's journey. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it never fails. It's just so, right. I, I meet people at different points of their hero's journey. And I'm like, ah, I see you. Yeah. I see you out there. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult book to read. Um, it really is stock full of information, information, it's information overload. Mm-hmm. So go find on Google and just graphic, you know, the hero's journey. There's some amazing graphics out there, totally. but really look at it. It really is uh, an exceptional way to look at life because we have these calls all the time. And are we paying attention? Are we listening? Mm. Are we avoiding? Are we non-confronting? And these calls can be as simple as your child saying, I want something more, or I got into a fight, or I'm not feeling connected to my dad. Is it something as small as your wife saying, you know, there's something, there's this disease that's going on, this feeling that's not working. Are you non-confronting, avoiding it? Or are you turning and paying attention to it? What's in my lexicon, are you confronting Mm -hmm. what's in front of you? Because if you don't, my viewpoint is your life will start to diminish, maybe slightly, maybe greatly, but the call for adventure is your ability to up-level and optimize your life. Yeah. I love it. And just what you were pointing to, and then back to the hero's journey is like, there's that tap on the shoulder Mm -hmm. and there's that shake of the shoulder. Then there's Mm -hmm. like that smack across the head and then like that roundhouse kick. Like mm-hmm. at some point you really have to give in to the call. And so, you know, you gave in, you saw your wife's crying right next to you. You're not yep. present. And then all of a sudden you are and you choose what yes. happens from here. Well, in that moment, in those one, two, three, five seconds of that choice, uh, then Erwan Devon, who is the teacher who said, Hey, do you know if your wife's crying? Did the most awful thing. He said, okay, who's next? It's no coaching, no conversation with Carol. I had to suffer through another two hours of introductions of other people in that burn, in that embarrassment. And as soon as I had a second, what's Carol? Are you right? Are you okay? Okay. And she's like, uh, I'm all right. Just go away, basically. And let me sit in the burn, which also was awful yeah. and perfect at the same time. So um, I just made a decision. It really is as simple as that. I, you know, what I call is a commitment. I committed to change. I wanted to understand this part of me. I sensed in that moment that this was not the first time I had said something chauvinistic and misogynistic. This is not the first time I had not confronted, you know, the angst I was pushing on my wife, the person I said was the most important to me. And so I just made the decision of, okay. I've got something to learn here. Let's stick into it. And my life has changed, you know, dramatically since then, but really comes down to that one choice of that one moment of, yes, I want to improve my life. Yeah. And it sounds like you got 
presence kicked in, like you just became more present. And what did that cause from there? Because now I can, like, I can see your business is built around communication and mm-hmm. authenticity and connection and sexuality. So what has come of that now? Well, that was March 20th, 1999. Uh, mm-hmm. That led to uh, about three years of doing workshops heavily. Mm-hmm. And then I met my future business partner, uh, Nicole Daydon. And then from there, we had many adventures together. And uh, in July of 2004, opened up a company called One Taste. One Taste taught about relationships, intimacy, communication, sexuality, and did that for 10 years. Uh, fully invested my entire life, everything I had into that for 10 years. Did that for, uh, did that for 10 years and then... Um, Decided I wanted something new, so sold my shares in the company, ended up in Venice Beach, California in July of 2014. Uh, loved that and then had a blank slate of any things that were possible. And then since then, I've had really four years of amazing experiences, including meeting Morgan, uh, my second wife, who is the most amazing woman I've ever known in my entire life, building a business, writing a book. You know, building a six-figure business by myself mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, working on a communication workbook. There's several other books in the pipeline, uh, did communication courses. There's just been a lot in the last four years from that place of uh, my hero's journey is just, you know, continuing. There's still so many more epic adventures to have. Yeah. And so what are you, what are you up to right now? What are you most excited? I mean, the book just came out. So, I mean, that's, that's, I remember my book coming out. It's still a big deal. (laughs) Like, what are you most excited about right now? What's going on? I'm really uh, excited about the book coming out. I mean, if there's anything, it's just like, cause it, you know, it was nine versions and it was such an adventure and just being out there and, you know, I had free Kindle for a couple of days and a bunch of people downloaded and I was so nervous because you have, you know, your readers, you have your editors, you have your advanced readers, but putting on the public with all these demographics. I got my first hate mail, which I was excited about, yeah. and I've gotten some really positive feedback from it. So it's, it's leveraging that. And then, you know, for the end of December, really planning what I want 2019 to be, you know, how do I leverage this? How do I take this to the next level and coming up with the concepts to continue the work and see where 2020 leads us. Awesome. You said something that I'm not going to step over. You said, I got my first hate mail, really excited about it. Now (laughs) this is, I love it. And I hear you. However, not everyone's got that listening yet. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. So I want to talk about being polarizing. Give us a little bit of insight, especially when it comes to authenticity, right? Well, you can make choices in your life. Again, you can live inside the status quo. You can write some amazing things inside the status quo. You can verify and validate. There's no question. There's beautiful, beautiful things I've read where people are like, oh, yeah, of course. Like you give someone another frame of reference. You give them what I call reality. You give them another point of reference so they have more validation in themselves. And not much change happens from validating. Much change happens when you offer alternative viewpoints to people for them to ponder. Hopefully, when you offer alternative viewpoints, it's in what I call a collaborative fashion, not an antagonistic fashion. Mm. We have our politicians who believe in antagonism. I believe in collaboration. Love it. And at the same time, I want to create thought. I want to have impact. And so chapter five of my book states... um, 
it's a tough time to be a man. It's a difficult time to be a man society. And a woman, feminist, lesbian powerhouse downloaded the Kindle version, got to chapter five and said, you know, she's a friend of mine. She's like, I'm sick. I don't know what you're trying to do. I know what your message here. And I was like, ah, but then I was like, okay, like, oh, I'm looking forward to the conversation to share viewpoints because I think it's the silence about men having a challenging time in the 21st century and before that, but really right now, which is causing more problems, men's inability to discuss what's affecting their souls, what's affecting their hearts, what's affecting their, their psyches, is having them push it down internally, which is having them have more toxic behavior, which is creating more distance between the genders. So I want to create a space where men can speak what's happening for them, be heard, be validated, and then offer tips and tricks to live a better, healthier life. Yeah. I really love what you're talking about here because a hundred percent I'm with you on that collaborative communication is way more effective than the competitive communication. Competition breeds more competition, breeds the blame and the shame and the the sides really, right? And we don't get to join in love there. Now, something that you were speaking to is the difference between like playing nice, nice and like Mm -hmm. validating and agreeing versus Mm -hmm. disruption. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you were saying as how disruption awakens the soul and gives them that new frame of reference for reality. Mm -hmm. Like it could go a different way, right? Mm -hmm. And there is more possibility out there. So what do you have to say to people around disruption? What do you see as possible? I think anything's possible. And most people think much is impossible. Now, if you're making minimum wage, it's probably not probable that you're going to end up with a million dollar salary the next year. Okay. So it's just, you know, I get it. I get the dynamics of it, but, and, but meaning to, to, to change or, and if you start to put your intention to doubling your salary every year, that's possible. And that often takes a lot of work. And again, if the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same, people don't tend to move. But when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, then people get motivated. That's when they go back to school. That's where they start to build new skills. That's where they start to take chances. I believe in infinite possibilities. And even when I don't achieve my goal, even if I don't successfully finish a project, In the end, I still have gained from my hero's journey, from my experience of being on the journey, I've gained new skills along the way that have made me a powerful, more intelligent person and also ultimately leads to me to more success. So this is a convoluted way to say, get off your ass, stop watching Netflix, stop whining about your status quo and do something about it. Because if you don't do something about it, it will stay the same. And if it stays the same, guess you have to blame you. And so it really is about just taking that first step in a deliberate fashion to having the life you've always dreamed about. Yes. And you speak exactly to something that I speak exactly to is taking 100% responsibility for the quality Mm -hmm. of your life. Mm -hmm. Our listeners are well-versed at this, I would say, but Mm -hmm. give us your perspective about taking 100% responsibility for your life and your relationships. Responsibility, most people think of it as what's called a zero-sum game, defined as if there's 100 marbles in a bowl and I take 58 that means there's just 42 left for you. That's what's called a zero-sum game. Yeah. I look responsibility as a non-zero-sum game. Yeah. 
And what that means is I can take 100% responsibility for a circumstance, which allows you to take 100% responsibility for a situation. In the co-creation, in the taking of responsibility, not overtaking responsibility, but taking responsibility, what you do is actually handing power back to you. So let's say you're living life and you're blaming your parents for the crappy situation you're in. Well, guess what changes when you start to take responsibility? You start to see how you've co-created the situation, how you've used the blame of them to coast and be lazy. You know, you're in a relationship with someone, you're not having the relationship you want. Well, guess what? Either you stay in the status quo, you start to speak in a collaborative yet dynamic fashion to say, I want something new. And if they say no, then have the guts to say, all right, this relationship's over. To have, there's no one else to blame but you. And having responsibility is the best superpower I've ever seen. I love it. And what has shifted in your life since taking 100% responsibility? You know, to be honest, it was a slow process. <laughs> you know, I... 60%, then 70%. It was more like three Six, nine, 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 eleven, back to ten. I was a very slow student compared to my students. You know, when it comes down to it, could I look at my change where I was from that moment of my wife crying to where, you know, it took four or five years for me really to have that feeling of self validation and empowerment and responsibility. Four or five long years. I'm paying a lot of money to a lot of teachers to, to rip apart my ego so I can see. But And what really happened afterwards is the most epic thing. I actually started to like myself. Before, (laughs) I believe that most people don't really like themselves. There's so much. There's this self-critic. There's this this record playing of just what I'm doing wrong and why I'm a screw up. And so um, what happened in those four or five years when I started to see myself is I actually started to love who I was. And from there, there's just been a really huge change in empowerment. Love that. Now, I couldn't relate more. And I, I, I refer to that version of myself, the inner critic, that like mm. inner dialogue, no matter, like e- even at these levels, when you're transforming and evolving, when you're leveling up and mm-hmm. like I wrote a book and still there's that inner critic that says not good enough. You wrote yep. it, but you sell it like, you know, all this like shit talking that happens. And so that can limit us and it doesn't have to. Now I want to talk to you with you about how we live hidden because Mm -hmm. we're beating the heck out of ourselves internally Mm -hmm. and then we make it look good externally. What's Mm -hmm. your perspective on that? Well, we're taught to live hidden. We're pressured into it. The social media, I love Facebook. I'm a Facebook user and abuser like everyone else (laughs) and also really feel the detriment of it because it really is such a simple way for us to hide our pain and also to get triggered constantly by other people because we believe that the life they're presenting is their actual life. I will tell you this as someone who tries to put his, you know, his shit basically on Facebook as much as possible. I have a group, a Facebook group called Living Unhidden, which all of you are welcome to join. And basically it's about the honesty of the highs and lows of life in providing the highs and low in life, then you provide 
space for other people to describe the highs and lows of their life. And then all of a sudden, we're living with more intimacy and more connection. We do this in relationships. We hide things because we're so deftly afraid of abandonment. We're so deftly afraid of judgment. And in the hiding, that's where the relationship heads towards mediocrity because you're hiding often some of the most interesting parts of ourselves. Like your sexual desires, to me, are some of the most interesting parts of yourself, but because we're so afraid of the reaction of our partner, we don't offer it. We live inside of it. I didn't tell the truth about my sexual desires till I was 28 years old. Like, you know, it took four years of marriage for me to really be honest. Though the point is like, you have the opportunity to speak to create communication pathways where the truth can be told and rewarded. And in that, that's where the most optimal relationships exist. I love that. I love it so much because I didn't know I knew that stuff. (laughs) And, you know, I was really, I, I'm just kind of, I've learned to laugh at myself and this and that, but the more work I've done and the more I call people forth, I notice where they want to like stay looking good. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's in it for anybody to give up looking good? Well, looking the, the benefit of giving up looking good is you start to look real. Mm. And then when you start to look real, you trust other people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, let me, so check out this math. Okay. I lie to you, Abigail. Yes. Okay. Then you've bought the lie. Then I know you're relating to me with the lie. Therefore, you're not really seeing who I am. Then I can't trust you because I know you bought the lie I've told you and not really seeing me. So I can't trust you or I have to create a wall or I have to keep up that facade or I have to put energy into making sure you don't find out that I've misled you. Yeah. So much energy. Oh my God. So much disconnection. I'm drained right now. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, oh, I'm exhausted. So it is the most efficient thing to do is to tell the truth. Like I'm an efficiency king, right? I don't have to worry about which lies I'm holding, which thing I've withheld, except for (laughs) presence. You know, in presence, you're allowed to lie about. But basically, you're not even bad at that. So like, really, it's like the there's so much more efficient. It's so much less energy intensive because you're not managing who you are to the intimate friends and lovers. So it's efficient to tell the truth. Wonderful. I love that. And I want to share like a little gem with the listeners is, um, I don't remember at what age I learned it, but I don't like spending that energy on lies. Like I've gotten in way more trouble telling the truth. Yeah. First off. But the thing is, I saw it somewhere. I was young, but the quote, like, uh, live a, live a life that if someone said something about you, like no one would believe it. Mm. They, They know who you are so genuinely. Mm-hmm. that they know you're not up to that. That's not the way you live. That's not the way you be. And I've just loved it because what you said right there, I don't have to remember the lies I've told. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh-huh. Totally. Even if I have um, put up a front, there's plenty of times I've like, I can't stand it. Right. But I turn around and go clean it up. Right. You know, so right. total freedom over there. And um, yeah, one other one, because I really want to give this to anybody it will serve is like, holding on to grudges. It's not Mm. just in the realm of lying, but like I've had plenty of people that I forget I'm mad at, like, or or I forget we've had a disagreement and they're like, I'll just start interacting with them. And they're like, wait a minute. Are Mm -hmm. you not mad at me anymore? I'm like, what do we, what do you, what, what, whoops. Like, because there's just no energy spent on having anger, you know? 
Um, one last thing I would love to like put in the space and talk about is you mentioned it earlier about like withholding, mm-hmm. holding back and all of that. And we only get to experience joy as much as we're willing to experience like anger. Yes. So how exposed we will be is how exposed we will be like all over the place. And I'd love for you to speak to that because I know it's one of those topics that you really dwell on. Yes. Well, women in general have permission to have a larger emotional range than men. Yes. So do you, I don't know if you remember this or taught this in school, but there's sine waves and cosine waves. Remember those, those big, did you learn yeah. those in school? Yeah. So they're big loops up and big loops down. So in terms of, I'm a science geek, so you have to stick with me, but in terms of range of amplitude, the societal permission for women is significantly larger for them to feel the extent of their feelings. Now, too much and you're emotional, too much and you're crazy. I'm not saying it's infinite, but, but compared to a man's range, you know, a woman is like 100 and a guy's like seven of yeah. what his amplitudes can be. Yeah. So men are taught to live inside these intense ranges. And we live in a society with so much external stimuli, 8,000 marketing messages a day, uh, traffic, social media, communication, pressure, you know, our, our you know, climate change, our politics, there's so many. And so inside this little box, men hit up. It's like you're hitting our head on top of the glass ceiling and then we're getting squashed by the floor. And what we do is we learn to numb out. We learn to turn the volume down uh, or we're, we're given ADD drugs. You know, we're giving Ritalin. We're given all these drugs to, you know, depressure ourselves from the extent of our emotions. Yeah. And so inside of that, we don't build the acumen to deal with intense emotions. Mm-hmm. When we're not taught how to deal with intense emotions and we have them, that's where violence tends to happen. Because we're not trained, it's, it's like an, a volcano exploding. All that pressure is finally released. And so I think one of the detriments we're giving to boys is a lack of acumen to deal with their emotional intelligence. So what I've done for you know my 10, 15 years of evolution is I've given myself permission to have the emotions. I cry, I scream, I have a therapist who has me beat up pillows with rubber hoses. Mm-hmm. Like there, you know, having connection to that is such a power because it's not like you're going to have to release the pressure in one moment where you're given permission to do so. Yeah. And, you know, so men not being allowed to, not allowed, but having that as much permission, right? So Mm -hmm. not having that is definitely one of the challenges of men, especially in the 21st century. What else are you seeing as you're working with men that they're up against? Well, it really has been an epic change. And this is one of the thesis of the book. Listen to this math. Okay. The patriarchy has been around for 6,000 years, depending on the historian anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 BCE. So the patriarchy, which basically has men in a power position, has been around for 6,000 years. Women's suffrage movement started in 1848 with a a moment in Seneca Falls, New York. The right to vote for women, the 19th Amendment, happened in 1920, 70 years later. So it hasn't even been 100 years since the women have a right to vote. 
women couldn't get bank loans by a car by themselves until the 1960s and 70s. So we're down to 50 years. Also in the 70s and 80s, the educators started to change the dynamic of schooling and education for girls. I'm saying girls deliberately as women under 18. Mm-hmm. And they started to build programs, especially around the concepts of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And what's happened in the last, say, 40 years is the rise of women's empowerment, the change of social dynamic. It used to be two-thirds of college graduates were men. Now it's two-thirds are women. You look at the pay grade was 64 cents in 1980, all women to a man's dollar. Now white millennial women entering the workforce in 2012 is 93 cents to a man's dollar. We're not equal. We're not even close to equal. And we're seeing some pretty epic changes in 40 of the last 6,000 years. And so the scripts, the concepts, the ideas, the, the programs, the ideology of what a man should be has significantly changed in just a generation and a half. From that, men are lost, confused, angry, and what uh, is called um, aggrieved entitlement. Mm. saying women are coming to take my job, minorities are coming to take my job, this belief system based on 6,000 years of history that it belongs to them. Well, guess what? It doesn't. And without the skills needed in the 21st century around emotional intelligence, empathy, communication that women have received, men are falling behind. And there's some really amazing books out there that describe this that I'm leveraging. Uh, and End of Men, Hannah Rosen, The War Against Boys, Susanna Hoff Summers, uh, Man Interrupted, Philip Zimbardo, you know, um, The Future of Men, Jack Myers. There's some really uh, Angry White Man by Michael Kimmel. These are some really amazing books that describe it. And what I'm seeing mimics that. Women are saying, we're all the good men. Well, they're checking out. They're playing video games. They're watching free porn. And they're, they're hanging out with their bros. They're extending their adolescence. And in that, we're seeing a definitive shift and challenge for men in the 21st century. Very interesting. Someone came to mind, so I got a little distracted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but wow, it's, thank you for bringing that because, well, the evolution of women and the evolution of men. But like, it's interesting because it almost seems as if it's a regression but it's not like we're never on the same ground, right? you know, so right. this is new for everybody. So what do, what are we going to do about this? What's there to do about this? Well, the first thing is really just to confront it. Hell yeah. It's so, uh, this has been happening, but it's not that well talked about. I mean, there, like I said, there's some amazing books, but they're not well known this. And the more I started to research this and read and the more ahas that I started to, um, to see. I'm, I'm currently in the very beginning of a book by Sam Keen called Fire in the Belly, uh, which was a 1992 book. I'm really maybe 50 pages in, but he talks about the, the changes coming. He talked about feminism. This is in the 90s. He wrote it, it published in 1991. He talked about the changes coming and brothers, you got to get ready. And guess what? Men didn't get ready. Yeah. They didn't take the men message. just like, ah, whatever. No, it won't happen. This is ridiculous. So, <laughs> It's time is coming. And if you ever, if you want more proof, you can look to the Me Too experience, the Me Too evolutionary change, the moment in time in September and October 2017 where women are just like, 
no more, no more. We're going to get you where it hurts, in your jobs, in your position, your places of prestige. And men are running scared because they're afraid of getting in trouble for something they should have been working on for generations. But what we can do now is just bring awareness, start the conversation. Women need men biologically. Women need men less economically and socially. And what's happening now with the difference is women are saying, there's a higher bar that I'm demanding of you to be my guy. Men can either say, yes, a new game, <laughs> a new hurdle, or say, ah, why bother? Yeah. And the men who are exce- excelling are the ones that say, oh, great, this is the best time in the world, in the world history to be a man. This is the most fun, empowered, dynamic women with jobs. This could be the best time. This would be the best party ever. And so the <laughs> The wise men are like, all right, I'll, I'm in. Like, sign me up. I'll start training. I'll start working. Those yeah. are the guys I tend to be with. They're like, I'm in. This is, this is so much fun. This is hard, but it's fun. Other guys are just like, ah, you know, Pornhub.com. Yeah. You know, all these video games. So the point is, is it's time to confront and say, I'm ready to go along with what's been happening in terms of change. Yes. So much greatness in what you just said. And I just, I really love the, um, like the perspective that you gave us that, all of it, all of it, all of it. And, um, I asked, what do we do about this? And you normalize it, talk about it, bring it to the surface. And how do we bring this into collaboration, right? Like the collaborative conversation mm-hmm. versus the competitive, how for specifically, cause we got plenty of men stepping up to the plate and having a lot of fun with this. Yes. How do we bring everybody up. Well, the first thing women need to do, cause women have always been the motivation on some level. Right. Totally. Way of the superior man. (laughs) Right. Exactly. The thing that women can do is continue to do their self-work, continue to feel the anger that's been repressed for 6,000 years, continue to uh, off-gas, what I call Mm off-gas. When you get a new carpet in your house, it takes, you know, months to off-gas that scent. You get a new car, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. to create space for women to off-gas that anger that's inside of them Mm -hmm. because it's going to take women feeling the feelings, going through it, off-gassing, and coming into approval and forgiveness for the way men have mistreated them for 6,000 years. So that's that's one half. And that's I'm not saying that's an easy thing. I'm not even saying that's a quick thing. You know, if you think about it, because Me Too was strong and prominent last year. And not that it hasn't phased off because it is literally off-gassing if we look at the scope of it. Yeah. Sorry, jumping in there. No, it's great. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is for men to do their work. Men need to understand the impact they have on women. Men need to understand, just like I got my ass kicked, you know, March 20th, 1999, men need to really start to see how these behaviors, and there are many, catcalling is a good example, Mm -hmm. that are just offensive to women. And so start to change the concept of catcalling to a vulnerable approaching of a woman. You walk by me, you took my breath away. I don't mean to frighten you, but you're really attractive. 
I just want to tell you that and then sit in the silence and the vulnerability of it rather than, hey, baby, baby, like change all these habits, start to do the work, you know, stop putting as much energy into these online games and finding your favorite porn sites into learning your own communication skills, read some great books, watch some great YouTube, yeah. you know, listen to books. There's, there's no shortage of information about how to step up. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen in this next generation. Mm-hmm. for the the genders to come back together. Do mm-hmm. I think it's possible? Yes. Do I think it's probable? Maybe. You know, am I doing my best to disrupt these patterns so people can wake up? Yes. And people like you. And there really is a legion of people out there trying to wake society up so we can come back together for the best possible party in the history of mankind. Ever. Person, person kind, womankind, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, uh, I think the general consciousness is elevating, not think it's, it's very apparent. And I don't know where I heard the statistics. So forgive me, but they're all fake anyways, is like, it takes like 30% of the population to begin this wave to truly begin it. So what do you see possible from this wave? Just uh, that feeling of equality and really the chance for men to put down their John Wayne masks yeah. You know, their mask of masculinity, the athlete mask, the sex mask, the God mask, take down the mask and really be themselves because men are suffering inside the patriarchy as well. You know, we're, we're hurting ourselves. There's violence or suicide rates. And so it really can up-level both sides. And in the up-leveling, there's so much possible. Yeah. Ooh, this is perfect spot for my favorite question is like, what do you see as possible with every heart in this Mm. world unleashed? I think the true hearts can come out. They can stop hiding, to use my language, to combine our languages, is to to release those binds that we've self-imposed and society's imposed. And we've we've bought the rules of our fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers and past generations. We can let go of those rules and just start to be true and real. And there's so much possible just from that spot. Because our hearts want to be exposed. We want, and we also want to feel safe, but we want our hearts exposed. And that's where the greatest intimacy can occur. Beautiful, beautiful. And what does it look like for Robert's heart to be unleashed? Well, I'm luckily in relationship with the most dynamic woman who we got married a year ago. And she basically kicks my butt on a regular basis. And what she keeps saying to me is no more, no more. I need, want to know more. I want to be closer. I want us to evolve, which I think is the best thing ever mm-hmm. to never rest on our laurels. And so I've never been this intimate with any other person in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And she makes it so safe for me to expose all those things mm-hmm. that I never felt confident to do. And so she's the person I wrote about in the book. She's the one I dedicated the book to mm-hmm. because I really believe that her love and her attention and her permission has taught me to live unhidden more than any other person in my entire life. So I'm grateful for that. I love it. Is she uh, also the motivation for the name of your podcast? <laughs> no, no. Um, actually, that came before, well, not, didn't really come before I met her, but Tough Love has really been my level of coaching uh, for over you know 15 years. And I've just been known as a Tough Love coach, kind of a football mix and a drill sergeant mix and just the kind of person to be like, you know, tough love is defined as the truth that's hard to hear. It feels maybe really difficult to say. 
it hurts going out. It may even sting going in. Mm -hmm. But once it's told, that's where you feel like, ah, thank God someone is actually telling me the truth. Yeah. That's what tough love is. Got it. And so we can find your podcast, Tough Love, but what does it look like to contact you, get to work with you, or have a chance to get that tough love? Everything is found via robertcandell.com, my website. You can order the book. You can find the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. I'm doing communication courses in 2019, online programs, a whole bunch of fun and mayhem. So everything can be found at uh, robertcandell.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I promised, as promised in your introduction, this eight-figure business, like we hear, it's like so sexy right now, right? Yeah. Uh, Five-figure months and six-figure businesses. Like what, speaking to anybody building their business and brand, what do you want to offer them? Uh, the first thing, it's, it took eight years to be profitable. Eight Eight. years to be profitable. Mm -hmm. That's called longevity. That's <laughs> what Seth Godin calls the dip. We, we stuck with it every step of the way. Okay. Uh, what really got us to eight figures was to take off all the safety harnesses. We had done extensive research. We had lived someone else's belief in who we were. And then when we finally went for it, we just went for it. That was when we crossed into eight figures. And mm. so it was an international built a community. It's a epic story in itself yeah. with some shadows. You know, there really are some shadows and some darkness around the organization I built. But the point was that uh, I do believe we did more good than harm. And then it's been, it was the most amazing thing to build it from a paper napkin sketch to an eight figure business. It's amazing. And I just really want to acknowledge and celebrate what you said there is you max out, we all max out achieving, right? Mm -hmm. Or doing what it takes to get where you're going. But then when you gave that stuff up and you really did choose from authenticity and like what mm -hmm. you, what, what's true and authentic and real for you guys yeah. and that blew up. And so, I mean, that is Hearts Unleashed. Like, except yeah you are. And I, I can only imagine being unhidden and really showing up as yourself is what caused that. So indeed, totally true. Well, Robert, I definitely want to thank you for being on and just thank you for bringing a hell of a conversation today. We have a large listening base that is women and your book is for both. And I love that yes. because I really love to be able to serve the men in our community as well. So it's just a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the light that you are. Thank you for living unhidden and giving out that tough love to the rest of the people who need to hear it. And mm. honestly, from, from a loving, loving feminist, thank you for bringing this brand new conversation of collaboration and like supporting, bringing men and women up at the same time. It's, it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. An absolute pleasure to be on your show. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you hearts. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for bringing your open ears and hearts to this conversation. If it touched you, if it moved you, please share it with all the men and women in your life. And let's continue to collaborate and create a ripple effect of love and greatness in this world. Today's Hearts Unleashed podcast is brought to you by Palmsy, a super comfy sock company committed to sharing your message straight from your heart, right through the bottom of your feet. Your host, Abigail Gazda and Palmsy have joined forces to bring you the Hearts Unleashed collection filled with inspiring socks and mugs. 
Sip your inspiration out of the new mug and come cozy up with us as you tune in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. You can also give the gift of motivation to your loved ones by grabbing their next new favorite pair of socks at Palmsy on Etsy. Thank you for joining us on this journey where we are achieving our dreams one step at a time. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you loved the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, head over to heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, hearts.